0: Thanks, everybody, for being here. Uh, I'm going to read a real quick disclosure, and then we'll head into the session. Uh, please note for all important disclosures, including personal holding disclosures and Morgan Stanley disclosures, appear on the Morgan Stanley public website at morganstanley.com backslash research disclosures or at the research desk. Uh, I am Nina Marshall. I cover the communication software space here at Morgan Stanley. We have Jeff Lawson, founder and CEO of Twilio, with us here today. Um, so I'm reordering the question list just a little bit uh, to maybe kick off with uh, a coronavirus question and just any impact that you're seeing or how you're looking at the potential impact to your business.
1: Absolutely, and uh, first of all, thank you for having me here yep. today. I want to begin by saying I feel fine. And uh, I went to, <laughs> but I'm saying this for a reason. I went to the tr- uh, trainer this morning for my gym session and he asked me to help him rewire his Sonos. I'm serious, like I'm an IT guy for my trainer. And I got all in this dusty, like, back of a gym, and I literally, like, I've got a runny nose and sneezing. I swear I am not sick. (laughs) Uh, But it appeared, like, right after all this dust was in my face. So that is why I have a Kleenex in my hand. That said, uh, let me talk about coronavirus and Twilio. So first of all, we've obviously, as everybody has, we've been very uh, focused on keeping up with the news and understanding what the best um, advice is that everybody has. Our first priority is on the safety and well-being of our employees. Obviously, everybody is very concerned. Um, and there's also a, an aspect of psychological welfare, too. I mean, people don't know if they should be concerned, whether this is just essentially the flu with a lot more media and a name on it uh, or whether it is something they should be concerned with. But, so we've been monitoring that and making sure our employees feel safe physically as well as psychologically. Uh, then as far as the business goes, you know, I think that obviously we don't know exactly if there will be an impact on the business. You know, we can imagine scenarios uh, that where there is an impact mm-hmm. because of travel uh, or um, – Uh, hospitality industries are impacted, well, we have those customers. And if there's less usage of their products, then that could mean less usage of our product. Uh, We could also imagine some upside where in, you know, for example, in the um, uh, on-demand delivery of food, for example, people are staying in instead of going out. That can mean more usage of certain use cases like that. And obviously, we're in the uh, electronic communications business. So if there are scenarios where people are using more electronic communications to communicate as opposed to in-person, uh, in-person meetings, you know, that could be an upside. So the net result of all this is, obviously, we don't know, we're not changing anything uh, about how we look at the business right now, uh, but we are continuing to monitor and work with our customers um, on, um, on making sure their businesses are well and seeing if there's any additional ways that we can help them during this period of time.
0: Great. Um, and I think I'm really excited to have you here today because I think when I talk to investors about Twilio, it tends to be one that has a lot of misconceptions about it. Uh, and one of them, I think, is that, you know, the CPaaS market is simply two-factor authentication, it's delivery alerts. What do you think investors miss most about the breadth of services that CPasses is and, and what it's used for today?
1: Yeah, the amazing thing about uh, the market that we're in, so you know, the critical letter in there is the P, platform, meaning that you can build just about anything with a communications platform as a service. And so while obviously there's the high visibility uh, of you know, certain use cases like uh, two-factor authentication or one-time passwords, uh, it's the full breadth of communications. Every point in a customer lifecycle where a company uh, engages with you, And that could be during the marketing, trying to reach you. It could be during the sales process of trying to close you as a customer. That could be in the delivery of the product itself, so when you're using the product. Uh, Or it can be in the service and support arena when you need help or when even someone's rolling a truck to you for field service and logistics. These are all the touch points that a company has with you, its customer. And every one of those touch points can be made better with better communications. And that's really the notion of customer engagement. And so we see companies across the spectrum implementing Twilio to build better relationships with their customers because at the right moment, at the right time during your engagement, they're being proactive in communicating with you. Um, in fact, uh, you know, I got a text uh, yesterday saying, um, you know, I made a dinner reservation at a restaurant and I got the confirmation text and they said, we'll text you again you know, the day of to remind you and we'll let you know when your table is actually ready. Like very useful. But the interesting thing about it is that is the, the notion of, like, alerts and things like that, those are oftentimes the first interaction we have with a company. Why? Because the amount of work a company has to do to implement it is actually very small, and the benefit their customers get is actually really huge. So imagine all these sort of opaque processes where you don't really know what's going on inside of, uh, inside of a company. Like, you don't know, did they actually get my dinner reservation, or is my table ready, and just use that example. Um, But now I'm kept in the loop, and I get a proactive alert. And so for companies, first of all, it reduces the workload on their contact center, people contacting them to say, hey, did this thing happen or not? Well, I'm practically keeping you in the loop by letting you know. But then the interesting thing is like that is a common first use case. But that leads to the great question of, well, what happens when a customer replies Mm -hmm. to that message? And most companies haven't thought that through yet. As you can tell, we get texts all the – it was not long ago – Four or five years ago, maybe it was novel when you got a text alert from a company saying, "Hey, your package is shipped," or your, uh, you know, your dinner table is ready, or your, you know, dry cleaning is ready, or whatever it is. You know, your flight is delayed, or guess what? Your flight's on time, actually. Um, but that was novel four or five years ago. Now we're starting to come to expect it. We're starting to come to expect it from just about every company. That oh yeah, of course. If they, it's kind of weird actually if they don't keep you in, in the loop when things are changing. Um, but so far you don't actually have the experience very commonly where you can reply to that text. You know, think about it, take one of those texts, you probably have one in your phone for the last 24 hours, reply to it and see what happens. You know, sometimes you get like, some standard response back, like you know, not monitoring this, text and data rates may apply. Um, sometimes you get an answer that says, you know, we're not monitoring this, call us on our content, they give you the phone, call us here. Or email us here. Or Go to this website. You're like, well, I'm replying to the text you sent me. This is the convenient method. I know you have a website, and I could have gone to. I don't want to do that. I just want to reply to you. Um, but uh, the most common thing that happens when you reply to one of those texts is nothing. Just goes into the ether. And you, you sit there wondering, is someone, is someone, like, sitting there in a contact center thinking about how to reply to me? Is there some bot that's kind of working right now? trying to, And, like, the answer is usually, like, no, they didn't even wire it up. No one is even listening when those messages come in. No one and nothing. And so that's, in, you know, an amazing opportunity that's on the horizon. And so I think that uh, when you think about the fullness of all the use cases that companies have for how they communicate with their customers, A low-hanging fruit one is these alerts and notifications. That's great. Um, But then it opens the door to ask, well, what other parts of the business actually depend upon you having a great dialogue with your customer? You know, and I think about the marketing use cases that are especially prevalent uh, now that SendGrid is a part of Twilio. And for those of you who don't know, uh, Twilio's platform, uh, our very first product was voice, and then we had an SMS, and then we had a chat and video and WhatsApp and Facebook Messenger. Um, But email had never been something that we had touched because there was another great company actually doing that as a platform as well. They were called SendGrid. Um, and they're the leading developer API to send and receive email in applications. And so last year we acquired them and brought them under Toyo, so now we have the leading API for email as well, as all, also as a part of Toyo's product portfolio. And as a result of that, we're seeing more and more of the marketing workloads because many companies start their digital communications with email, uh, and especially in marketing, that's a pretty common thing. You know, you often see the sign up for our newsletter as a right. prominent thing. Uh, and so many companies' marketing strategies really start with how they engage you on email. And so with SendGrid, we're now starting to get a great window into the email uh, or the marketing workloads. We already had a lot of companies doing uh, sales with Trilio. For example, the call tracking use case or you see a phone number on a billboard or a website or anywhere, and that phone number is actually a trackable phone number so that when you call into that phone number, they can see where the communication came from. They can see that their ad buy on this channel is working because it drove inbound interest. So that's a neat use case. That was one that we started with in the early days of Twilio. And then what happens is you take an inbound phone call and you forward it to a contact center. So then we started talking to customers about, oh, okay, well, what contact center are you using? And they would tell us, well, actually, let's talk about that as well. And so you can see how you start with these early use cases that are easy to implement, and then that opens the door to be able to do more and more and more with customers. Like, that's a similar uh, procession that led us to uh, develop Flex, our contact center uh, Mm -hmm. platform that we built. So anyway, it's it's across the spectrum, and, you know, it's it's sort of interesting when you look at companies. Every company starts in one spot. Because there's some problem they're looking to solve, and a developer brings Twilio in and says, hey, I know how to solve it. Uh, And then with our sales team, we go in, we make them successful for that first use case. But because we're a platform, you can build just about anything. And so we go in and then we figure out, great, where's the next use case? And the next one, and the next one. And that's the power of the platform business model.
0: Got it. Um, So maybe the super helpful, and then perhaps leads into the second question, which is just a second misconception people have is that CPaaS will inherently be a low margin space you know, particularly given some of the other vendors in the space, how do you think that that misses the opportunity you, you have within organizations to offer these higher-margin services? Some of which you just kind of described.
1: Yeah. So you know, communications, first of all, is not a new industry. It's been around for 100 years, right? And so there's always been uh, folks who are like carriers, right, who essentially transit uh, bits on wires, and uh, that has been, uh, and that's you know, that's nothing new. Obviously, there's AT&T, there's Cellex, there's You know, a bunch of different uh, types of providers there. And I think the difference with Twilio is that we started the company in a very different um, mindset than like a carrier. Because myself, Evan John, the three co-founders of the company, we were all software developers. And our fundamental question was, how can we as software developers build communications into the apps we're building? Because communications was just this foreign thing. You know, I'm a serial entrepreneur, I had started multiple companies before Twilio, and in every single one of my companies, At various points in building out that customer journey, we would say, oh, wouldn't it be great if we could communicate with our customers like this or like that? And every time we had these ideas, we would say, yeah, that would be really neat, but I'm a software developer. I don't know, a first thing about communications. And so we didn't build those things. And so we built Twilio to solve the problem of letting software developers actually go build communications into their apps. And so we are a software company founded by three software developers who actually didn't know very much about communications when we started the company and built out all these APIs and this whole software layer that does uh, all the intelligence of what does a developer in a company who's building communications and software need to just to A, build it, so build out the use cases, all the APIs and all the features and functionality of those APIs. And then because it's software, you really have to think about what does world-class software look like? It's a distributed system across, you know, I think we run in 28 data centers now around the world, and you've got uh, high uptime requirements. You know, you have to be always available. You've got security requirements Mm -hmm. uh, that, you know, obviously companies have. Um, And, like, in things like even uh, today we just announced that we are now signing BAAs to support healthcare workloads on Twilio. And so these are really big, expensive software engineering feats to do these things well and at global scale that is about a software exercise. It's not about copper wires and fiber optics. And so that's the perspective that we've always brought to Twilio. I think, um, you know, close to half of our company is our software engineering, our R&D organization. And that's the, building the products that we build, operating the products at global scale with high availability. Now, let's contrast that with a carrier. If you're a carrier, um, you know, we've seen some folks with carrier backgrounds uh, enter this space. But really what they're doing is saying, hey, i got some pipes. How can I sell them to uh, a different audience? And so what most of them have done is built a relatively thin veneer of software on top of those pipes and say, hey, we're CPaaS, and um, say, hey, you know, you can come and use it. But the problem is, when you're a carrier who generally has lower gross margins, um, so you don't have a lot of gross profit to use to build a world-class software engineering organization and invest in all that software, whether it's features, functionality, reliability, HIPAA, ISO 27001, all those software things, well, you do the minimum required, Mm -hmm. and then, because you don't have the features and functionality or reliability or security, you say, okay, well, it's cheap. That's our benefit. And, you know, and sure you're going to get some customers, absolutely, but... When it's cheap, you don't throw off the gross profit to actually invest in the things customers really care about in software. Mm-hmm. And so that part kind of propagates itself. You can't build all the things that customers need, uh, and so you continue to focus on price. Whereas we, because we started as a software company, always internalized the value of what software platforms bring to the world and what software buyers are looking for when they buy software, that's commanded a, a healthier price that allows us to reinvest the gross profit back into building more software for our customers, and that also keeps propagating itself. So our approach has always been to come at this market as a software company uh, and to serve other companies who need software-like features, functionality, reliability, security, et cetera. Um, And I think that approach has served us very well in this market. Got it.
0: Um, One of the most interesting moves I think you guys have made is bringing on board members and execs who don't necessarily have a – Silicon Valley, like, Insular or Pedigree. And so, you know, you have access to organizations with larger digital transformation needs. You know, how did you think about kind of that as a, an angle of, you know, adding value to your company? Yeah, you know,
1: I just, I just think it takes a village, and Twilio is a pretty unique company. Like, we don't actually just pattern match exactly to one other model that's out there in the world, uh, you know, for better or worse. And I just think it's for better, but... Um, that has uh, meant that as I've gone around building the team, whether it's the executive team or the board, I want a diverse set of viewpoints from different types of businesses and different types of industries to help inform how we build this company. Uh, and so, you know, I'll give you an example. Um, you know, I'm on the exec team. I'll talk about a few different folks. Uh, we have Kozema, uh, our CFO, and Kozema came to us from GE, which is a very operationally focused company. Mm-hmm and as we grow and we just crossed the billion dollar year last year was our, our billion dollar uh, run not run right uh, billion dollar revenue milestone year um I always you know the first thing that comes to mind is I say we crossed it for the first time but nobody ever wants to hear did you cross it again
0: <laughs> you, you know like
1: that would obviously be bad so I have to like not say that um but um so we cost a billion dollars. That means it's a different level of scaling and operational maturity you have to build in the company to scale. And that's why Cosimo is a great CFO for the company. On the go-to-market side, we have George Hu, an executive who came to us from Salesforce, where he was the COO at Salesforce. And uh, he's brought a lot of the go-to-market DNA that has helped the leading SaaS company in the world grow to the size that it's at. And so that's been, uh, George has been a fantastic influence on us, uh, even though we're a platform. Now we'll talk about the platform, Chi uh, Chu is our head of product, and he runs all the R&D organization. And Chi comes from a strong technology background. Immediately before this, he was at Amazon, where he led uh, customer engagement for all of Amazon retail. Uh, before that, he was at Google, where he actually built the communications products at Google, like Hangouts. And then before that, he was at Microsoft. And so here's someone who has seen and built world-class engineering organizations at the iconic technology companies of our time. And so you can see how this team all bring different perspectives to the table as we're building the company. On the board, you know, I think it's interesting we've got uh, a number of unique voices. You know, one that's interesting, uh, and, you know, saw a lot of folks have asked me questions about, last year we added Jeff Immelt to our board. And, uh, you know, obviously a, a little bit of a controversial character, but from my perspective, uh, he is a world-class executive, of which there are very few human beings on this planet who have operated at the scale and complexity than what Jeff Immelt has done. And, you know, you can argue whether, like, whose fault it is, you know, for the outcome, but, you know, regardless, first of all, I'll just say it this way, if GE was continuing to be a skyrocket, I wouldn't have him on our board. That would be one less brain I'd be able to tap into building this company. but the fact that we have him on our board, he has been fantastic in helping us see through global, uh, you know, global expansion issues, like how do we think about running a truly global business. There are very few global businesses, the scale and the complexity of GE. Um, and then as far as enterprise, you know, there's very few people in the world who actually know all of the big, uh, you know, the CEOs and the executives at nearly every company out there like Jeff does. Um, and Jeff, I don't know if you know this, he was a salesman at mm-hmm. GE. Um, So he's got a fantastic sales DNA, so helping us think through, you know, as we think about the next 10 years of Tulio and what are we going to do to crack the enterprise customer because our goal is really to be the wall-to-wall end-to-end customer engagement platform for enterprises and customers. Uh, He's helping us think through the execution of how we go do that. And so I just think it takes a a full team with a a breadth of experiences um, and a breadth of different industries uh, that actually help us build this unique company. And I'm uh, really appreciative of the yeah. people that I get to work with every day.
0: And so maybe, step in, you know, building from that, you've had a developer-led model, which gives you great inroads into kind of the tech innovator companies in the space. But you know, as you're talking about your vision for the next 10 years, will it always be a developer-led model? How, you know, how should we think about the timeline of bringing some of these larger organizations on as they look at their digital transformation efforts?
1: Well, I think we're, we're already seeing it happen. So it's not a matter of like, okay, well, you know, we can't do it today, and then one day in the future there's a we can do it, right? Like, like all things, this happens over time. But I actually think our product is a much easier one to bring into large, sophisticated enterprises than a lot of companies. If you think about, think about like an HR software, you know, a company has one of those, or a financial software, a company has one of those. And so it's a very big decision, it's a very long time frame, not just to buy it, but to implement it. And it's fiercely competitive because there's only one that the company has. So every vendor in the space is gonna be in there like tooth and nail trying to get that business. Whereas communications, there are workloads all around companies and so many greenfield opportunities. So when I think about um, the ways in which we've been working with uh, a lot of our enterprise customers, it's been like there's always a workload, there's always a customer experience point that can be improved and someone at that company is thinking about how can we improve it? And they bring in Twilio and developers start the process and they bring in Twilio and they often build the prototype on their own and that gets the ball rolling. Now, if it was like a tech company or a startup or something like that, you know, maybe that was just the end of it. They would just deploy and it would run on a credit card for a while until we called them. Uh, but an enterprise, sure, you're going to run a sales cycle, and typically there's going to be a decision maker. But it's, um, you know, it's a lower down decision maker on day one. You know, it's not yeah. the CIO who's deciding to put in alerts for, you know, a certain use case. Uh, that's a great first foot in the door because it is a low decision maker, it's low risk, and it's fast. The developer can usually build those use cases in, you know, days or weeks, not right. months and years. And so it's a fantastic way to get in there. And and I love even with Flex, our contact center product. We've had some great, uh, some great wins. Uh, If you look at the last few quarters of our earnings calls, some of the customers we've been announcing, uh, Allianz Mm -hmm. in Q3. So Allianz is using Flex to engage with their customers over digital um, in their their direct-to-consumer business. And we had CompuCom. You know, that's a division of Office Depot, who's using uh, Twilio for all of their, um, uh, for their, uh, essentially their pro-serve, their, like, uh, full-service business they have with with serving uh, companies. That's what CompuCom does with Flex. Uh, And then even companies like Southwest Airlines uh, pulling on Flex. And so it's been a fantastic um, run of taking not just the building blocks, and, like, some of those companies have been customers of ours for a long time, and now they're adding on, and in my opinion, they're getting more strategic in their use of Twilio because we're going from, again, that foot-in-the-door use case of sending you an alert uh, to actually powering the contact center. And then that opens up more conversations about, okay, well, where else can we take this? You know, oftentimes the, the, the contact center begins with one of their contact centers. We often have many contact centers you get your foot in the door with you know one use case and then you expand into one of their contact centers and then you can see the okay how do we take over the rest of those contact centers yeah. um, and so it is a land and expand for sure and we are seeing the land we're seeing it happen every day and, uh, and then we continue to see the expansions happening and so I think this is happening very nicely one of the things that we've done that we innovated on last year that has worked really well and we're expanding it this year is our enterprise hackathons mm-hmm. where we actually bring Twilio into a company and we um, hold a one- or a two-day hackathon with their engineers, and we sort of set, like, we, we, we tee it up as, hey, business executives, why don't you throw out some of the biggest problems that you're looking to solve in the business? And then let your developers work for a day or two, showing you building some proofs of concepts and some prototypes, and then come back at the end and let them show you what they were able to accomplish in just a day or two. And it is amazing. First of all, it's just amazing to see the developers and what they can accomplish. Uh, the executives are usually is so excited because, I mean, every executive wants more progress faster. And when you actually show them what can happen in a day, it paints this picture of what's possible for them. Not that you're going to solve the problem in a day, Mm -hmm. but it shows you, oh, my, look at this progress we're able to make. Look at what our product could look like. Mm -hmm. Let's let this keep going. And so those have empowered the developers, empowered the executives, and for us built a lot of sales pipeline. And so those have been really successful programs, and now we're looking to scale that up in 2020.
0: Got it. And so maybe building on the flex conversation that we just had, you know, some investors, I think, have gone through this, you know, hype cycle of their own of saying that, you know, in their minds, flex should have ramped faster. Um, you know, I think that, that misses generally that sales cycles can be very long. You know, has flex business developed differently than you thought, both in terms of the pain points that customers are trying to address or what customers have been using it for?
1: I think Flex is is progressing very nicely. Um, The hypothesis that we started Flex with has been proven true in my opinion, which is that companies historically have had to choose between their old on-prem contact centers, and this is a market that is still 85% on-prem, and companies have had to choose between sticking with their old on-prem software because on-prem allowed them to very, to customize the contact center substantially. They could take a contact center and with enough professional services come in and really bang that thing into submission and make it do exactly the workflows they needed to do, which makes a lot of sense. Right? When you're a company with 10,000 contact center workers, 20,000 contact center workers, um, every optimization you make to those workflows to make the agents more productive, to make the calls with customers shorter, you multiply that by 20,000 people every day. It's a huge ROI. And so companies have spent the last you know, 10 years dialing in all these workflows to make these contact centers extraordinarily efficient. And that's what they got out of on-prem. The problem with on-prem is that every customer is running their own bespoke version of the contact center, partially because they customize it so much, but then you also throw in on-prem software and upgrade matrices and you know, what you wanna, you wanna upgrade. You know, this, like one of the vendors is like, well, oh, we have a security update, you have to apply to this part of the stack. And then you do the math and you realize the whole stack has to get upgraded in order for them to interrupt with each other correctly. And they'll spend, you know, regularly from customers, they spend like nine months just trying to do an upgrade. Mm
0: -hmm. There's no innovation
1: in that. It's just keeping the thing running and secure. And that's the mess that they're dealing with on-prem. Yet, the cloud is designed to solve this problem. Right, here we are 20 years in the whole cloud thing, and 85% of the contact center market is still stuck on-prem. Why is that? Well, the answer that we heard from customers was that nothing in the cloud allowed you to do all those customizations. Because the very thing that makes the cloud great, multi-tenancy, it's a single code base, every customer shares the code base, meant that you couldn't actually go in there and really rewire how the thing works in order to customize those workflows. And so companies told us that they were stuck. They were stuck between uh, customizability on one side and reliability on the other side. Mm -hmm. And guess what? They happened to want both. And so we answered that with Flux. And I think that hypothesis has now been proven out by the amount of customer demand that we've seen for Flex. Now, there was a bit of a hype cycle, um, I think, you know, especially in the, in the investor world. And you know, it's obviously uh, flattering to launch a product and have everyone get so excited about it. You know, more excited about the customers uh, than necessarily the investors, uh, because customers are what lead to success for everybody. Um, but I think the, the reality is that contact centers you know, they do take a while to play out. When we look at the revenue from Flex, you know, it's not something we've disclosed, um, but when we look at it internally, I'm very happy with the speed at which this product is growing. Uh, And I think as an independent company, everyone will be blown away by the speed at which it is getting traction with customers. But I will say, you know, it's still essentially a version one product. You know, we announced it about uh, two years ago. Two years ago? That's my math right on that. Um, Yeah, 2018. And... Um, and so we announced it. We GA'd it a little over a year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. It's actually said it's for sale, Uh, and so with that in mind, I think it's doing incredibly well uh, as a product, and it's got a really great customer base, but... um, I'm not sure what investors' expectations were, uh, but they may have been a little, little heightened <laughs> given a V1 product just coming into market uh, does take time. And the contact center, uh, especially for larger ones, uh, takes time for customers to decide and implement because you have every training to do the workforce, who use that contact center, uh, you obviously have the implementation timeline, the decision timeline, and so those are a little bit longer than some of the, you know, alerts and notifications use cases, but that's to be expected. That's built into our models, uh, and uh, so we think uh, Flex, is progressing incredibly well for where it's at in its life cycle.
0: Got it. Um, and then maybe just final misconception investors have. A lot of
1: misconceptions.
0: I know. I'm trying to clear it all up because <laughs> uh, this is, you know, I, I think it's a great great story. Um, you know, is that customers think or investors kind of think that RCS or WhatsApp for business create kind of headwinds versus opportunities. So can you help investors contextualize how, you know, the opportunity is different in multimodal companies like communication and how it can be a bigger opportunity overall.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's no surprise, right, that we as consumers are using myriad ways to communicate with each other. You know, we're using messaging. We're using – but to do that, we're using uh, iMessage. We're using WhatsApp. We're using Facebook Messenger. We're using all these different platforms. Then the, you add know, the geographic aspects of it. You know, in Japan, they use Line. In China, they use WeChat. Uh, and different uh, parts of the world are using different, um, different apps, communicate and so most of us on our phones have I think on average five or six different messaging apps that we use for different purposes mm-hmm. and you know that continues to get more and more and more complex actually every day um, and so companies are trying to figure out how do I talk to my customers how do I use all this new technology to engage with my customers and the answer is you really have to listen to your customer you know if your customer wants to engage with you on you know, WhatsApp, you should do that. If they want text messaging, they sh- you should do that. If they want voice, you should do that. If they want chat, you should do that. I mean, it really comes down to which channels are customers going to respond to the best. That's the correct channel to use. And that's not universal. That is um, customer by customer. It's an individual decision that we all make. Some people love talking to brands in, uh, in WhatsApp or Facebook. Some people hate it and say, stay out of this. This is for my friends and family. And so it really is a personal decision. And so what, you, what the best companies are doing is building in a way where they can support all the channels that their customers may want and letting customers self-select into the channels that actually make the most sense for them. You know, I thought it was interesting. One of our early customers on our WhatsApp API, so we have a, the Twilio API for WhatsApp, and uh, one of our early customers was uh, Deliveroo, one of the, the food delivery uh, service in the U.K., and Many different countries that are headquartered in the UK, and when they they had offered email, they had offered SMS, but when they offered WhatsApp, they saw uptake of that feature shoot up. Uh, I think it was six times the uptake of any other channel that they had offered historically for actually people choosing to get updates on their orders and things like that. And I thought that was fantastic. So it just goes to show you that the more channels you can offer to that audience. That was in the UK, but in other countries it was different. Um, the more channels that you can offer, the better chance of a customer actually opting in and saying, yes, you know what, I actually want to engage with you because you're actually doing it in a way that I like. And that's a huge opportunity for Twilio because instead of having to invest independently in every one of those different channels and every one of those roadmaps, and by the way, the the companies, you know, Facebook or WhatsApp or Google with RCS or, you know, all these, they're changing these all the time. You know, if you actually were to subscribe to the change log of, some of these APIs or the systems from these companies, you would see that like on a weekly basis you'd have to keep making changes to your implementation just to keep the thing running. Well what's great about a platform like Twilio is you build it once and it works on the channels that you think you need today. And by the way, when a new channel comes along, it's gonna work there too. So if it turns out your customers really want TikTok, fine. Like Twilio will be the place that you'll be able to do that. That is not a product promise today. I'm just making the point (laughs) that like By future-proofing your investment you build on a platform like Twilio and now as the world changes and it's going to keep changing and it's going to change even faster you know like I had a customer ask me once like what like what should my HomePod strategy be you're like "Home, like yeah like companies are like do I need to invest in HomePod is that the next big thing and my answer honestly is I don't know but if you build on top of Twilio if it turns out that HomePod is important we will support it, and you won't have to do anything, because you will already built against a platform that is omnichannel by design, and that means that you get to build once and then be future-proofed in that investment, so you don't have to keep making bets on your strategy about which channels your customers may or may not want, and people have been burned so many times. I remember chatting with a customer back in, I it was about 2011 or so, shortly after we launched our SMS product, and the customer was hesitant to to adopt SMS, and I asked why. He said, well, look, we're two years into our mobile app strategy, and we're about to launch mobile apps, and once we launch our mobile apps, we'll just be able to send push notifications to our customers, and that's why we don't need SMS. And I said, okay, well, let me know how it goes. And about a year later, I talked to the same customer, and they had launched their iOS app and their Android app that they'd spent years building. And he said, "Uh, well, after that, we're a year in, Uh, to having launched them, and I've got about 20% of my customers have downloaded the app. And of those, about 20% have actually said, yes, you can send me push notifications. So I've got a solution that allows me to communicate with 4% of my customers. Now can we talk about SMS? Right. Because I need to reach the other 96% of my customers. So it's like they had made this huge technology investment, not a bad one. I mean, obviously mobile apps are important, but... Uh, they made this huge technology investment and got a fraction of their customers opt into it. And so you keep going back to, great, how do I make investments that are going to reach the maximum number of customers um, and not have to keep re-guessing as those consumer behaviors change? And Twilio is that platform.
0: So maybe last question for me. Um, You know, AI is a great opportunity. You know, I think mostly gets brought up in contact center. Where do you see Twilio being able to participate either through what you can bring as part of Flex or what you can bring as kind of part of Twilio all together to the communications
1: world. Yeah, the biggest trend that that we see, it's showing up largely in the contact center, but um, in general, in voice and and even use cases like video, is how do I take communications and turn them into data? But how do I take, you know, it's easy to imagine like chat sessions. Like if you chat with, you know, your cable company or whatever, uh, you can imagine them looking at the chat transcripts and like, data mining it to understand what are people asking my agents and how good are my agents at answering it. And even that actually is still in its infancy, but you can use your imagination and say, yeah, that's, that's pretty easy to do. But then you take a voice phone call,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you're like, what do you think they know about the things their agents are saying?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Or out in the field, if someone's doing a delivery and they call you, what do you think the company knows about the things that are being said between their employees or their contractors and their customers? And they know almost nothing. And so the biggest trend that we're seeing is how do you take, you know, uh, real-time communication like voice or video and things like that, and how do you turn them into data so that then you can act on that data? So part of the data is just mining for, you know, who are sales reps or support reps who are not performing well and how can we uh, coach them? Mm -hmm. Um, How can we actually coach them not after the fact but also in real time? So can we transcribe these calls in real time to know what's being said? And then provide coaching to the agent. Can we actually, like when they have got their script of things they're supposed to say, they're supposed to greet you a certain way, they're supposed to sign off in a certain way, you've all had the experience for you, and know, you're bucking up, and they say, oh, wait a minute, um, I want to let you know that we've got a survey that's going to come out. Like, you know, it's something the they're supposed to close with, and they have to remember to do it. And, uh, and so you can actually provide that coaching real time, because they know, the AI can know whether they've said those things or not said those things. Um, and then you can actually start getting into uh, dynamic coaching, Based on sentiment and tone and things like that. So if a customer is changing their tone, well, the agent can actually change their approach to the call, and the AI can coach them on that. Yeah. Um, and so you see all these amazing ways in which AI is essentially helping the human beings. Mm-hmm. And then you also see the ways in which AI can actually help the humans be more human. And you know, I say that in the sense of you spend a lot of time on calls with people, just exchanging information. You know, what's your account number? What's your mom's dog's maiden name? Whatever. And it's like, can I just tell that to a bot ahead of time? So if i time a and the human picks up the phone, they're able to greet me by name and know why I'm calling. Yeah. I and mean, that's really the promise. Let the bot do the bot things and let the humans do the human things. And right now we've got humans. Like everyone has it backwards in some ways. You've got humans doing bot work, asking you stupid questions. And you've got the bots trying to be humans. And that's not working particularly well either. And so if, you, if everyone sorts these into the right buckets, mm-hmm. I actually think we'll make our human beings much more effective, um, much more productive, and then we'll also have a great use for the bots. So I think the bots will get better, and they will start being able to do the human things better. Uh, but that's not where I would have started, and that's you know, kind of where the industry uh, did start in some ways and why it was a little bit of a false start there, I think, on the, the bot hype that you saw in 2015 and 2016.
0: Got it. Well, Jeff, I wanted to say thanks uh, for being here today and, and appreciate it, and uh, we'll now take a break. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you, everybody.